Hi everyone, welcome to the first Principles of Medicine podcast. Today, Jason is taking us through the medical management of hypertension. Go for it, Jason. Thank you, Dan, for the great introduction. Glad to have you back. It's been a while. So today we've got a couple of guests. We've got Nian, who's here for a second time. She's an MD3. Do you want to say hi? Hi. And we've got Fan, a first time guest. Yeah. Hello, keen to be here. So today we're going to go through hypertension medication. And we're going to use it as an example of how to prescribe medications to patients in the future because pretty much whatever medical profession you go into, you're going to be prescribing medication. So we'll go through the first principles of high blood pressure. So can anyone tell me, just broadly speaking, the three main physiological controls of blood pressure? Broadly speaking. Hormones being one. Okay, I didn't think that broad, but... (laughs) How broad do you want? Hormones, nerves. Okay, I'll give you one example, okay? Cardiac output, that's one of the main physiological controls of blood pressure. And what is the formula for cardiac output? Heart rate times stroke volume. Yeah. MD1 knowledge, thank you. See, I love it. Yeah, that's good. Okay. And what are the main things which control heart rate and stroke volume, which are often targeted with blood pressure medications? Um, Autonomic nervous system. Yes, exactly. And a part of the autonomic nervous system, you've got the sympathetic and parasympathetic. And what effect does a sympathetic nervous system have? Which should increase the heart rate. Yeah, Yeah. so it increases the heart rate and it also has an ionotropic effect as it increases the stroke volume. Mm. So the sympathetic nervous system has a ionotropic and a chronotropic effect. What about the parasympathetic system? The opposite effect. Yeah. Yeah, so it reduces heart rate and contractility. Just heart rate. Okay. So it has a chronotropic effect. So on the... Sympathetic side, you got the activation of beta-1 adrenoceptors that increases stroke volume and heart rate. And on the other side, you got the parasympathetic innervation, which only has a chronotropic effect, which reduces heart rate. So cardiac output is one of the three main controls of blood pressure. What's another one? Could it potentially be like volume control of the blood? Yes. Intravascular volume. It's simply how much blood is within your blood vessels. Okay. And what are some of the systems which control that? urinary system yeah how much specifically what urinary system of the kidneys ras ras yeah so ras what does ras stand for daniel renin and geotensin aldosterone yeah so that's one of the main systems we target with blood pressure medication because it controls the blood volume and what's the final type of physiological control of blood pressure systemic vascular resistance yes or peripheral vascular resistance or vascular tone Mm. all the same things right And that's important to know because smooth muscle tone controls the radius of arterioles. And when you reduce the radius, the resistance increases exponentially. I think it's like one divided by R to the power of four. So that's why vascular tone plays such a big role in controlling blood pressure. And what are some of the things which control peripheral vascular resistance? Hormones. Hormones, yes. So hormones, the RAS system plays a role. Um, Nitric oxide plays a role in controlling that as well as the nervous system itself right so that's really going down into the first principles but what i just wanted you to remember was that blood pressure is controlled by cardiac output peripheral vascular resistance and intravascular volume so now that we know those three physiological controls what are the three drug strategies for affecting those three areas to reduce heart rate and contractility yeah so reduce cardiac output is one of our strategies what else increase uh, urinary output yep so reduce intravascular volume yeah reduce intravascular which, volume, which is yes. done through the urinary yeah. system and the last one decreasing the resistance yeah so vasodilation of arterioles 
So basically all hypertension medications kind of work through those general mechanisms. So with any medication, including hypertension medications, we have to understand when they should be used or what patient groups they're indicated for. And the way we do this is kind of complicated and it's usually done by general practitioners. Does anyone know how we determine whether someone requires antihypertensives? As a new diagnosis of them with hypertension, I think it's more than a day apart. Yep. Hey guys, Adian here with a bit of a caveat for this episode. So classically, hypertension can be divided into multiple grades, but generally speaking, it involves a systolic blood pressure greater than 140 millimeters of mercury or a diastolic blood pressure greater than 90 millimeters of mercury. And the decision to start treatment with antihypertensives depends on a number of factors, usually measured by the absolute cardiovascular risk factors. However, for the purpose of this episode, we'll be focusing more on the drug management of hypertension. Assuming you've decided to start an antihypertensive, how might you go about choosing an antihypertensive to start them on? Thank you. So simply their blood pressure being high? Yeah. But what's the buzzword you're going to say in an OSCE, right? I'd perform this type of assessment. Oh, um, uh, blood pressure, pressure diary? Is that what you're looking at? What? You get them to record it at home. I don't know. No. So to determine whether someone requires antihypertensives, one of the main things you have to do is perform an absolute cardiovascular risk assessment. Have you guys heard of that before? Yes. Probably. Okay. Probably? Maybe not. That's fine. So this risk assessment is basically a fancy way of determining their risk of developing a cardiovascular event within the next five years. So like, what are their chances? Like, are they at high risk of having a heart attack or a stroke or something like that in five years time? Or are they at low risk of having it? So if they're low risk, they're more likely to not require an antihypertensive. If they're high risk, they may require one. Does that make sense? Yeah, right. Okay. And determining cardiovascular risk is through a mnemonic called gas death. G-A-S-S-D-E-T-H. Okay. So one of the risk factors for cardiovascular disease is G. So G stands for gender. Can anyone guess which gender has a higher risk of cardiovascular disease? Males. Yes. Yeah, males, okay? And then you got A. What does A stand for? Age. Age, right? Old age, higher risk of cardiovascular disease. S. Smoking. Smoking, right? Of course. What's the other S? Salt. You, you mentioned it before. <laughs> Systolic blood pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Because cardiovascular risk assessment is more than just the blood pressure, okay? Got to be holistic doctors, Mm. my friends. Holistic. Holistic. You don't just look at the number. You treat the whole person. (laughs) Okay? So gender, age, smoking, and systolic blood pressure. And then now you've got death. So D, what does D stand for? Diabetes. Diabetes. Always diabetes. Okay, E. Ethanol? No. Ethnicity? No. They're both good. Exercise. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's ECG, okay? Specifically an ECG showing left ventricular hypertrophy. So that's one of the risk factors which indicates this person is at high risk of having a cardiovascular event. Now, moving on, there's no A in this. It's just D-E-T-H. So T, what does T stand for? something like total lipids or something? Yes, total cholesterol. (laughs) (laughs) So high total cholesterol, okay? And then the next one is H. Hypertension. (laughs) (laughs) We already went through systolic blood pressure. Okay, it's H. It's related to lipids. Oh, HDL. HDL, low. 
Low. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know it sounds stupid, but yeah. this is one of the things you'd say in an OSCE, right? So if a patient comes in with raised blood pressure, you'd be, or even slightly normal blood pressure, and it's just you're doing preventative health screen, you'd calculate their absolute cardiovascular risk and determine whether antihypertension medication or statins are required. So there is some point to this, okay? However, what can happen is that a patient can be clinically determined to be high risk of a cardiovascular event, regardless of their cardiovascular risk score. So basically, if you're a diabetic and over the age of 60, it's recommended that you're on antihypertensives regardless of your cardiovascular risk score. So diabetes and over the age of 60 is one example, but there are other things which just shoot you up to high risk. Whereas for other patients who don't fit in those, you have to calculate their cardiovascular risk in order to determine whether antihypertensives are required. Cool? Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. And basically what happens is that once you get a number, okay, it's either less than 10%, 10 to 15% or greater than 15%. So let's say um, you get less than 10%, so let's say it's 7%. That means you have a 7% chance of a cardiovascular event within the next five years. Less than 10% is usually just lifestyle measures and pharmacotherapy is not often indicated. If it's greater than 15%, so that means your risk is quite high. Lifestyle measures are also indicated as well as lipid lowering and antihypertensives. Okay. And then you get the in-between thing. For 10 to 15, you can get lifestyle measures. Sometimes you start pharmacotherapy, sometimes you don't. You sometimes have to reassess. Okay. I'll just keep it at that. And it should be conducted every two years once you turn 45. However, if you're Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, you start it at 35 and repeat every two years. Okay. So that's really the boring stuff now. Let's go through to the fun part now, the drugs. Okay. So what are the main uh, drug classes we use to control hypertension? Give me one. Propranolol. Propranolol, yeah. Beta blockers. Beta okay? blockers. Beta blockers is one of them. It's not one of the first line ones, but it's definitely one you'll see when you're in GP. Another one. Give so me. ACEs or ARBs? Yes. Inhibitors. ACE inhibitors and ARBs. Mm. Yeah, perfect. And two other ones I wanted to discuss. Anyone can give me another one. Diuretics of some sort. Yes, thiazide diuretics spe- specifically. And what's the last one? Calcium channel blockers. Calcium channel blockers. Perfect. Okay. These, these five classes, ACE inhibitors, ARBs, thiazide diuretics, calcium channel blockers, and beta blockers, are usually the common ones you see in GP practice or in hospitals. Okay. And first line is usually the ACE or ARB or thiazide or calcium channel blocker, depending on the patient. Okay. Beta blockers tend to not be first line. So let's go through ACE inhibitors first. Okay. Can anyone just briefly give me the mechanism of how an ACE inhibitor works? using those three general physiological principles I talked about at the start. If I remember my early teachings well, um, ACE stands for angiotensin converting enzyme. Yep. And angiotensin technically means vessel contracting. So um, if you have a lot of angiotensin, then you're going to have high peripheral resistance. So uh, if you inhibit the ACE, then you'll have less peripheral resistance. And hopefully that decreases your hypertension yeah great job that's that's one part and it also plays a role in reducing your intravascular volume as well because normally angiotensin 2 increases your adh production and increases your aldosterone secretion which helps retain water so if you yeah. inhibit that you excrete right. more yeah. urine. okay so ace inhibitors okay and what are some of the adverse effects you would see with ace inhibitors that you know of gi upset gi <laughs> <laughs> what a cop-out answer. 
Yeah. As Dan mentioned. It's an oral medication. Yeah. If you're really struggling in an OSCE <laughs> and you have to counsel someone on medications and you're warning them of stuff. GI upset. Yeah. So you go to. Well, okay. you think. And then you can say yeah. like a dry cough. Yeah. Dry cough, yeah. Dry cough, that's actually one of the main ones which I was going to say, dry cough. Um, yeah, with ACE inhibitors, you get this dry cough because apparently it's something to do with bradykinin or something like that, okay? And there's another adverse effect which applies to all blood pressure medications. Can anyone think about it? Hypotension. Yes, postural hypotension, right? Because blood pressure medications lower your blood pressure, right? You have a chance of developing postural hypotension which could increase your risk of falls or things like that. So for whatever blood pressure medication you give, there's always a risk of postural hypotension. There probably is some variance uh, between different classes, but that's one of them. So for ACE inhibitors, you've got postural hypotension, cough, and there's one other. Can anyone think about it? Okay, I'll give it to you. Angioedema. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because it's something to do with the bradykinin degradation again, and that can lead to nitrous oxide, which causes swelling. So for ACE inhibitors, you've got postural hypertension, which applies to every single drug class in antihypertensives, cough and angioedema, okay? And can anyone just quickly think about some of the groups of patients we tend to avoid ACE inhibitors in? Since it alternates like your renal function, potentially patients with renal failure? You're on the the right point, but patients with bilateral renal artery stenosis it's contraindicated in because the ACE or angiotensin system plays a role in protecting the kidneys mm. when there's periods of low blood pressure, like, for example, sepsis. It's okay. kind of confusing, but just know that bilateral renal artery stenosis is contraindicated for ACE inhibitors. And the other group of patients are pregnant women. So ACE inhibitors are not used to control blood pressure in pregnant women. Okay. And what are some examples of ACE inhibitors or naming conventions that we know of? The suffix pril. Pril, right? And uh, common examples include ramipril or perindopril. So pril is a nice way of remembering what an ACE inhibitor is, especially when you're looking at the med charts and you're like, this person like 10 freaking medications. You just look for the little pril and be like, oh, that person's an ACE inhibitor. Okay. Uh, the next class we're going to go through is the angiotensin receptor blocker. So an ARB. Okay. So it's very similar. It works I guess on the same pathway as an angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitor. It can cause vasodilation arterioles as well as reduce the intravascular volume by simply inhibiting the RAS system. And does anyone know some adverse effects with ARBs? GI upset? GI. (laughs) No, again, hypotension. Yeah, postural hypotension, right? That's actually one of the main ones. I couldn't find any others Um, because cough and angioedema are actually less common with ARBs compared to ACE inhibitors. So... I swear from my research, ARBs don't have that many adverse effects. And who would you avoid ARB use in? Pregnant ladies. Yes. And what else? Bilateral artery stenosis. Bilateral Re- renal, renal artery stenosis. stenosis. Yes. And just going through some examples now, what is the naming convention for ARBs? The suffix sartan. Sartan. Yes. And common ones include ibisartan, candesartan. So you see sartan, it's an ARB. Okay. Next class we're going to go through, thiazide diuretics, okay? Can anyone briefly go through the mechanism of how thiazide diuretics work? It literally tells you the name, man. <laughs> well, it makes you urinate or filter out a lot more water. Yeah, essentially, right? The volume. Yeah, so it inhibits some transporter in the distal convoluted tubes. That leads to sodium staying in the tubules, and then the H2 follows leading to diuresis. So you simply pee out more. 
And then can anyone think of some of the adverse effects other than GI upset <laughs> and postural hypotension? Okay. Think about where it works in the kidneys. So distal convoluted tubules. Yeah. Is this something to do with potassium sparing? Yes. Um, is this not a potassium sparing diuretic? It's a, it's a K plus wasting. It's a, it's a wasting. So what, so what does that mean? It would be the opposite then. So you're losing a lot of potassium. Yeah. So hypokalemia could be one of the potential adverse effects. What are some other things we can think of in relation to like electrolytes and, and substances and stuff? You mentioned there was loss of sodium. So would hyponatremia be one? Yeah. And what I was thinking about was actually glucose. I don't think the mechanism is known, but sometimes thiazide diuretics can cause hyperglycemia or raised blood gl glucose levels. And the other one I wanted to mention was that for patients with gout, because of the way thiazides work, it sometimes leads to increased urate reabsorption in the tubules, leading to increased uric acid levels. So basically in patients with diabetes and patients with gout, sometimes it's avoided. And can anyone think of the other group of patients which thiazide diuretics would be avoided in? CKD? Yeah, renal failure. Because, yeah, I think it's just not good when the kidney's already failing to try and diurese it too much. That's the way I think of it. And can anyone give me a name of a thiazide diuretic? Chlorothiazide? Yes, hydrochlorothiazide. It's in the name. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's no naming convention. Okay? So hydrochlorothiazide is one. Chlorthalidone is one. Indapamide? I have no... I'm probably butchering these uh, pronunciations, but... Sounds good to me. Yeah, those are some ones, okay? Two more to go. Here we go. <laughs> calcium channel blockers. Can someone go through the mechanism for me? It blocks the calcium channel. <laughs> yes! Great! It literally is in the name, so, right? If I remember correctly, it acts on the heart. Is it to decrease contractility? Yes. So that affects the cardiac output. Yeah. But it can also affect the blood vessels. Because mm. 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 calcium is involved in muscle contraction, right? So basically you, you have calcium channel blockers which have varying selectivity. There are some which are cardio-selective, so mainly affect the contractility of the heart. And then there are some which are vascular smooth muscle selective, which mainly affect the peripheral vascular resistance. And then you have some which are actually affect both. Okay, so the cardio-selective ones, it's verapamil. Verapamil, there we go. Okay, the vascular smooth muscle selective ones end in dipine. Oh, so nifedipine or amlodipine, dipine or whatever. And then diltiazem affects both the heart and the vascular smooth muscle. Okay. And can anyone think of some of the adverse effects you would see with the calcium channel blockers? Thinking about the mechanism and where it works. Is there a risk of arrhythmias um, for the cardioselective ones? Yes. I think arrhythmias, but I was thinking more bradycardia. Bradycardia. So that's why calcium channel blockers in particular are avoided in patients with heart failure. Right. with reduced ejection fraction because you've already got a shit heart <laughs> and then you're giving a calcium channel blocker which is going to affect their contraction and heart rate more yep. so that's why it tends to be avoided in those patients but some of the other effects excluding postural hypotension as we all know um, the bilateral pitting edema yes peripheral edema and that's due to the difference in capillary pressure because of the arterial vasodilation right that can cause peripheral edema it can also cause headache because of the vasodilation effects. It can also cause flushing because of the vasodilation effects. <laughs> and lastly, it can cause a, a gut effect. Can anyone guess what that is? GI upset. G <laughs> <laughs> I should be more specific. What, what's the opposite of diarrhea? Constipation. Constipation, right? 
How does it cause constipation? Use the first principles. Um, is it because it blocks the smooth muscle's ability to move the gastrointestinal contents along? Yes. Loss of peristalsis. Yeah, using calcium channel blocker reduces that peristalsis, leading to constipation. Okay, gotcha. beta blockers. The one, <laughs> the one drug which I had here, which wasn't first slide. Okay. In the end, give me the mechanism. It blocks the beta adrenergic receptor. Yes, and what effect do the beta one adrenoceptors have on the heart? Like it affects the heart rate and the contractility. Yeah. Okay. It so it would, heart rate. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. when you activate the beta-1 normally, it causes increased heart rate and increased contractility, right. which increases your cardiac output. Yeah. Therefore, by blocking it, you reduce cardiac output. Perfect. Can anyone think of some of the adverse effects of beta blockers? Other than, <laughs> Daniel, okay, give it to me. Give me the two. I was thinking bronchoconstriction. Oh, I thought you were going to say GI upset oh, for the fifth time today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, GI upset, but also bronchoconstriction. Yes. And who is that particularly relevant asthmatics. in asthmatics? Mm -hmm. So beta blockers tend to be avoided in asthmatics because why are beta blockers important in asthmatics? Because beta activation of the smooth muscle in your lungs causes bronchodilation. Yes. So if you um, inhibit those, then your airways are going to shrink up. Yeah. Oh, like I kind of viewed like, imagine you're on a um, beta blocker and then you're having an asthma attack and yep. you try to use your Ventolin puffer. True. It won't have as yep. much of an effect, right? Because mm. it's already being blocked by yep. something else. So that's another way of thinking about it. Okay, so asthmatics, you want to avoid beta blockers in. Is there any risk for bradycardia since it blocks, I guess, the yeah. side of things? Yeah. So interestingly is that my understanding is that beta blockers are avoided in acute decompensated heart failure because of mm. the negative ionotropic effects and chronotropic effects. Right. However, beta blockers are used as a prognostic medication in patients with stable heart failure with reduced ejection fraction because it helps to prevent the cardiac remodeling which occurs right. with heart failure. Right. So it's used in the long term once you're stable, but yep. you wouldn't use it acutely when they're decompensated, like let's say in the acute pulmonary edema or something yep. like that. Okay? Okay. Any other adverse effects? Hypotension. <laughs> you asked. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good one. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So related to the effect on the heart, you can get shortness of breath as well, which could affect if you want to exercise or something, right? Because your heart's not able to contract as much or as quickly. And it can also make you more lethargic, right? Imagine if you're, your heart is not pumping as hard and it's a bit slower than usual. It affects your, your energy. And that's why it tends to be avoided in patients with, with depression because you're inhibiting the, the effects on the heart. Didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> and what are some examples of beta blockers in the end? Your favorite, your favorite hypertension <laughs> medication by the oh, center. <laughs> yeah. And what's the naming convention? Oh, Nolol. Yes. Olol. Yeah. So propranolol is one, bisoprolol, metoprolol. Okay. But it's important to note that there's variation in the cardioselectivity of those drugs. Mm -hmm. But we won't go through that. But some are more cardioselective. Some affect other tissues elsewhere. Right. Okay. That's done, guys. Five. Five drug classes wow. done. Okay. Thank you. So quickly, can I get you to name the five general drug classes which Ooh. are used to manage hypertension in the community? Tough one, but um, we'll start off with our ACE inhibitors. You got our um, ARBs, so our deutensin receptor blockers. <laughs> yes. Thiazide diuretics, beta blockers, and calcium channel blockers. Yes. It? Yes. Those are the main five you'll see in the community. Okay. 
So now that we know a bit about the mechanisms, just going to briefly touch on some of the combinations of those medications you want to avoid. Okay? Because in general, you don't want to use multiple drugs with a similar mechanism of action or target because it increases the likelihood of adverse effects. That's one of the principles of pharmacology, right? I'll just give you a hint that combinations of ACE inhibitors or ARBs with thiazides and or calcium channel blockers are generally okay. Okay? So that's just a brief statement. So what are some of the other combinations you want to avoid? Would you avoid a calcium channel blocker with the beta blocker? Yes. Why? Why would you want to avoid using a beta blocker with a calcium channel blocker? Because they both work on the hearts. Exactly, right? And imagine you can cause excessive decompensation of the heart, right? If you've got two drugs kind of working on the contractility of the heart. So, yeah, perfect. You tend to avoid beta blockers and calcium channel blockers being used together. And that, that was literally one of our MCQ questions in our exam. So it's an important thing to remember. Dan, this drug is not used. Um, this drug I'm talking about is not an antihypertensive, but it's commonly used in the community for pain relief. Yeah. Yeah. Give it give it to me. Well, what's the normal NSAIDs? Ibuprofen. Yes. And what's what's this What's the problem? What's this um, the triad? Syn- yeah, triad called. Yeah. So you don't want to use an ACE or an ARB plus a diuretic plus an NSAID. Why is that? Uh, you can cause renal failure. Yes. So avoid using ACE or, or ARB with a thiazide diuretic and an NSAID. And yeah. Triple whammy. Fuck, he's like the triad. It's fucking triple whammy, man. Everyone knows that, okay? <laughs> triple whammy, they will test you on this. Don't yeah. don't remember triad, triple whammy. Daniel, explain how the triple whammy works. I don't know. They're all acting on the kidney. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Causes it. renal failure. Simples. You know what? They all have an effect on the human body. Okay. Fan. Can you explain it to everyone? So, using all the knowledge I've collated so far, the triple whammy of ACE inhibitors, thiazide diuretics, and your NSAIDs can have severe consequences on the kidney because your NSAIDs cause vasoconstriction of your afferent arterial going into your glomerulus. Your ACE inhibitor acts on the efferent arterial, so the one coming out from your glomerulus. So that, in effect, reduces the blood flow in through the glomerulus and reduces the GFR significantly. Then on top of that, you have your thiazide diuretics, which are working within the distal convoluted tubules itself and preventing any sort of water resorption. So because you have decreased GFR already, there's not as much water passing through the kidneys. Then of that water passing through, the thiazides are making sure that none of it is reabsorbed back into the kidneys. So this huge change in physiological function of the kidneys acts as a bit of an insult, which can then lead to kidney failure. Mate, that was impressive. That that is bloody difficult to explain. Just Thank you for that. <laughs> so whenever you're in like an OSCE environment and they mention NSAIDs use, just make sure they're not on a thiazide and an ACE inhibitor because sometimes that's like a trap. Because whenever they put NSAIDs, they're either going to ask you about fucking gourd and peptic ulcer disease or triple whammy. Okay, now we get to the clinical part and the last part of today's episode, okay? How to provide medications or medication counseling. And just to reiterate, it's always important before prescribing anything that you go through the patient's ideas, concerns, and expectations, or the ICE mnemonic, you'll probably learn later on. You perform history, exam, and order investigations you think are appropriate before prescribing anything. That's my preface. 
Now for the good part, the mnemonic which will help you in your OSCEs. And this mnemonic is the Reads mnemonic, R-E-A-D-S-S. And this mnemonic is just a good way of remembering how to prescribe medications to a patient in an OSCE. Can anyone guess what the R stands for? Rationale. Rationale. You know, I'm just going to explain it, okay? So the R stands for the reasons you're giving the drug, okay? So it's really important that you... The rationale. Oh, shit. Yeah, it is. <laughs> what are you saying? Yeah, we got rationale and reasons for giving the drug are literally the same thing. My bad. We're all human, okay, Daniel. Okay. We're all human. Okay? Rationale. Very fancy. I like it. I like reasons for giving the drug, mate. Okay? I second guess myself there. <laughs> rationale. Perfect. Okay, E. Explain what E stands for then, mate. I don't know the mnemonic. No, learn it. Give it to me. You were trying to interrupt before. <laughs> um, rationale. Explain how to use it. Oh, fuck. He, he knows his shit. <laughs> oh, <it is>? okay. <laughs> explain how to take the medication, right? So explain. Is it a tablet? Um, how many times do they take it a day? So the admin route and frequency. And then A. Is it adverse effects? Allergies. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, because yeah. that, that's a later on one. But allergies, because you don't want to get sued. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's allergies, man. If you're an ED, you always, or even GP, or wherever you're practicing, you always ask about allergies. Maybe if you're a radiologist, you don't. But oh no, it actually is relevant for a radiologist because you, if you're allergic to the dye, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's bad. Okay, <laughs> always ask about allergies. Okay, so whilst it's kind of weird to ask halfway through about allergies, it's always important to double check that, and it's one of the most commonly forgotten things, I think. So allergies, don't get sued. Okay, trying to protect your license, Daniel. Now D. Can anyone? Drug drug interactions. Fuck off. How do you know? <laughs> How do you know this, man? What? Okay. Drug drug interactions, right? So I like to think of like the potentially bad medication combinations, like if they're already using NSAIDs regularly and they're and you're adding a thiazide diuretic to the ACE inhibitors, you've got to warn them of triple whammy and to avoid things like that. Okay? S. Come on, smart ass. I don't know. Summarize it all back? No. Side effects. Side effects, yeah. So adverse effects, side effects, yeah. Because as one consultant told me, there's no such thing as a free lunch when it comes to drugs. Every drug has some sort of side effect, okay? And of course, you want to avoid drug combinations which have the same target and lead to increased side effects. And what's the last S? Dan, are you a safe GP, mate? Come on. You've told this patient. I'm trying to figure out this mnemonic. You've given um, this these side effects, mate. What are you, you going to do, man? Safety net. Yeah, safety uh-huh. net. Okay. Whenever you prescribe anything, you got a safety net, right? You give them instructions for when to come back to the GP or when to go to the ED specifically. Um, so safety netting slash follow-up, I like to include together. So can someone quickly give me a rundown of the Reed's mnemonic for prescribing? R. R- rationale. E. Explain. A. Allergies. D. Oh, I can't remember. D. D. <laughs> D, 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 D. Oh, man, bro. Stop being such a hog, man. Yeah, Fuck sorry, sake. Sorry. Okay, S. Side effects. Yes, S. <laughs> Safety net. <laughs> Safety net. Yay. Everyone can read here now, eh? Oh, good. <laughs> okay. Oh. Yes. Okay, we're done. Medication counseling done. Now you're going to pass all your OSCEs. You're not going to repeat an entire year because you, you learned how to prescribe medication. <laughs> so the four key takeaways I wanted you guys to learn from this was that blood pressure is controlled by cardiac output, peripheral vascular resistance, and intravascular volume. Typically, antihypertensives 
their indication is based on cardiovascular risk assessment using the gas death mnemonic. And you want to avoid using multiple drugs with the same target as it increases the chances of adverse effects. And to remember the READS mnemonic for prescribing drugs. All right. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks, Van. Thanks, Nian. Don't forget to follow us on our socials or you can visit our website, 1pm.wiki. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers.